0: This is The World in Brief, from The Economist. Our top stories. Both Russian and Ukrainian reports suggested that the town of Izum had fallen to advancing Ukrainian troops. This followed the fall of a crucial railway interchange at Kupiansk, as a counter-offensive in the Kharkiv region continued at pace. Russia's defense ministry unconvincingly claimed that the retreat by Russian forces was an attempt to regroup. Earlier, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky celebrated recent progress, saying that 1,000 square kilometers of Ukrainian territory and dozens of settlements had already been reclaimed since September 1st, mostly in the east. The Accession Council, a group of senior officials and politicians that convenes following the death of a monarch, formally proclaimed Charles III King on Saturday morning. King Charles delivered his first address as monarch on Friday evening. He honored the life and service of Queen Elizabeth II and pledged to follow his mother's example throughout his reign. The state funeral of Queen Elizabeth II will take place on September 19th at Westminster Abbey, The Queen will lie in state for four days at nearby Westminster Hall. She died on Thursday at Balmoral Castle in Scotland. Her remains will first be moved to Edinburgh on Sunday, then to London on Tuesday. Britain's oldest and longest reigning monarch led Britain and the Commonwealth through a period of intense change. The EU will design a new framework for reducing the public debts of member states, according to Valdis Dombrovskis, vice president of the European Commission. Today, the EU requires a country's debt to remain below 60% of its GDP. Any excess must be reduced by 1 20th each year, a target that many EU members do not achieve. Mr. Dombrovskis suggested that new rules would give them more leeway. Different views emerged between the Department of Justice and Donald Trump's legal team over the appointment of a special master. The independent third party is supposed to review documents seized by the FBI at the former president's Mar-a-Lago estate in August. The two parties set out a selection of their preferred candidates for the role and will disclose their opinion on each other's choices on Monday. American lawmakers warned Apple it will encounter significant political pressure if it uses chips from China's Yangtze Memory Technologies Company in its products. Marco Rubio, the Republican vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, told the Financial Times that Apple is playing with fire. His criticism follows the recent passing of the Chips Act, an attempt to bolster America's position in the semiconductor industry. The World Bank put the cost of rebuilding Ukraine at $349 billion, more than one and a half times the country's GDP last year. In the short term, the bank said, $105 billion would be required to prepare for the coming winter and planting season and to repair transport systems, among other necessities. The number of Ukrainians in poverty, or those living on less than $5.50 a day, is projected to rise tenfold to about a fifth of the population. And word of the week, kunguk, the Inupiat word for the brightness on the horizon that suggests the presence of sea ice. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Remembering 9-11 On Sunday, Americans will mark the 21st anniversary of the attacks of September 11th in which 19 terrorists from Al-Qaeda killed nearly 3,000 people. President Joe Biden plans to lay a wreath at the Pentagon, while the First Lady, Jill Biden, will speak at the Flight 93 National Memorial in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Kamala Harris, the Vice President, is to attend a ceremony in Lower Manhattan. The somber occasion may remind many not only of the shock, fear, and sorrow of that day, but also of the solidarity and patriotism that followed. A poignant contrast to the division today. Americans' focus on Islamic extremism has given way to fears of violence from homegrown political radicals. Nearly half of Democrats and Republicans regard members of the opposition party as enemies, according to a recent CBS News poll. And close to two-thirds of Americans expect political violence to increase in coming years. There's much to reflect upon. Sweden's far right reaches for power Sweden's biggest crisis this autumn is the one all of Europe faces, rocketing energy prices. Yet campaigning ahead of the country's general election on Sunday has been dominated by immigration, segregation, and crime. That favors the far-right Sweden Democrats, known as the SD, a populist party that has spent years shedding its neo-Nazi roots. This could be the year it gets a share of power, Center-right parties, who long shunned the SD, are now willing to form a government relying on its support, though not including it. Yet the polls suggest the right will win too few seats to form a government. The mighty Social Democrats, long the party of power, have done well under Magdalena Andersson, who became Sweden's first female prime minister when she took over in November. She has a good chance of forming a coalition with the crucial center party, but to keep her job, she might also need to lean on the leftmost party, the aptly named Left. Ukraine punches back The war took a dramatic turn this week when Ukraine launched a fresh assault in the east of the country on top of its week old offensive in the southern province of Kherson. On Tuesday, Ukrainian tanks and troops sliced through a weak spot in Russian lines east of the city of Kharkiv. In the following days, they encircled the town of Balaklia and moved 50 kilometers east, marking one of the most rapid advances seen since Russia invaded in February. Ukrainian forces took the key rail junction at Kupiansk on Saturday, and reports suggest they also liberated Izyum nearby. Russia claims that the collapse of its line represents a regroup before launching a new attack further south in Donetsk province but Russian military bloggers tracking the war describe panic and confusion. On Thursday, Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, said that his armies had liberated 1,000 square kilometers in the northeastern Kharkiv province as well as the southern Kherson province, where progress has been slower. The Future of the Commonwealth Of all her foreign duties, Queen Elizabeth II attached the greatest importance to her role as head of the Commonwealth, a voluntary club created in 1949 as a kind of post-imperial alternative under Britain's patronage. She was widely respected, even revered, in the 56 independent countries it comprises. Since taking the British throne in 1953, she provided much of the glue holding together the club. Without her, the draw of the modern Commonwealth will be weaker, the club claims to have two chief aims, to strengthen democracy and to nurture economic development. Yet it has no real mechanism for enforcing the first, and no big pot of cash for ensuring the second. The organization still attracts new members. Gabon and Togo joined this year. But as its titular head, Charles III could struggle to hold it together or give it fresh relevance he will lack the prestige of the queen, who seemed to epitomize the best qualities of grandeur and fair play that the British empire claimed to promote. Weekend Profile Shavkat Mirzioyev, Uzbek leader with a reformist bent When Shavkat Mirzioyev became president of Uzbekistan in 2016, his country was a pariah in much of the democratic world. Previously, Central Asia's most populous nation had been ruled by Islam Karimov, a ruthless despot who clung to power through the Soviet Union's collapse and his country's independence in 1991. Although Karimov earned some goodwill among Western governments for helping military operations in neighboring Afghanistan after 2001, that soon evaporated amid persistent allegations of corruption and rights abuses, including boiling dissidents alive and massacring anti-government protesters in the city on Dijon in 2005. He even locked up his own daughter, once considered a successor. In the six years since Mr. Mirziyoyev's ascent. Uzbekistan has undergone a striking transformation. He has eased state controls on industry, media, religion, and civil society, and abolished a forced labor system for picking cotton, a major export. He has also overseen a diplomatic shift, improving ties with neighbors, expanding links with China, and repairing relations with the West. Since America's withdrawal from Afghanistan in 2021, he has taken a lead in engaging the Taliban and in lobbying Western countries to follow suit. He will build on that legacy next week by hosting a summit of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, a grouping of regional powers, in the Uzbek city of Samarkand. For China's President Xi Jinping, it will be the first foreign foray in two years. Some question Mr. Mirziyev's reformist credentials, He was, after all, Karimov's prime minister for 13 years and maintains many restrictions on religion, media, and civil activism. Election monitors have flagged concerns about his two presidential victories while acknowledging progress towards fairness. In July, Amnesty International called for an investigation into reports that his troops had used unlawful force in quelling protests against plans to change the constitutional status of Karakalpakstan, an autonomous region. Eighteen protesters died, and Mr. Mirzoyev withdrew the proposal. Yet even critics acknowledge that he has revitalized the economy. It now rivals neighboring Kazakhstan's as the region's most dynamic. Mr. Mirziyoyev is no model liberal, but in a region long stifled by Soviet-era strongmen, he is still a breath of fresh air. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia Ryan Chua, Singapore North America Ariel Brio, San Jose, USA. Central and South America, Alejandro Jara, Santiago, Chile. Europe, Nina Lara Bajek, Maribor, Slovenia. Africa, Tanera Boucher, Masvingo, Zimbabwe. Oceania, Grant Rees, Queenstown, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of hand, martingale, stirrup, bit, and mustang. The theme is horses, which are measured in hands. Martingales, stirrups, and bits are all pieces of equipment, and a mustang is a feral horse. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Stephen J. Gould. The dogmatist within is always worse than the enemy without. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio.